Well, good morning again. I would invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. I have to say that I am so glad that he did not make us sing that first song. I would have had trouble. Sounded like a good song, though. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he sat, when he had made purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this passage. It's so rich, Lord. Every word is just packed with truths that enrich our life, enrich our understanding of our Savior. Lord, I, I pray for clarity, I pray for understanding. And then, Lord, I pray as a result, I pray for worship of our Savior and our King. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hope you're getting the theme of this book of Hebrews. It's exalting Christ. Christ is to be exalted. And the author has made a pretty bold statement here that Jesus is the very Son of God. And he gives the qualifications, the criteria of these things. And we've seen these are like pearls, precious nuggets of truth. Each one with a little bit different shape, a little bit different color. But they're so rich and so beautiful, theological pearls. When you pull them all together, there's a strand of pearls that exalts Christ. That that points to the preeminence of Christ, his superiority. He is above everyone. He is preeminent. He has the highest of all positions. He is above everything. He is above everyone. He has all authority. His work is all sufficient. And the new covenant which he established in his blood is far greater than the old covenant. And this makes his name far greater than any other name that is to be named. We'll look at that, the name of Christ next week, that reputation that goes along with that name. And we stand in Christ, in the the preeminence of Christ, we stand sufficient. We stand sufficient. Nothing more needed. And and with the the glory and the, the credentials that we see in Christ, nothing else that is needed. And the angels are looking down and they see us. And sometimes they see us drifting away. They see us going this way or, or that way. Even though we have Christ. And they're, they're probably questioning in their mind, why would you ever drift when you have, when you have Christ? Why would you ever drift away? But, but that's what is going on here with the audience, the, the Jewish, the church, churches, the Jews in the church. Many of them were being pulled, pulled back to their old way of life, pulled back to the old covenant, the traditions, the, the law. And to them, that was a security blanket. 
And they, they felt like they needed that. And they began to depend on something else, something other than Christ. Going back to that old, old covenant, that Old Testament, incomplete, temporary form of religion. When you depend on something other than Christ, you're not depending on Christ. You cannot depend on Christ and something else. And you begin to drift. And we have to be very careful not to drift. To, to put our faith in Christ alone and to never drift apart from that. We are to focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. I like what the hymn writer said. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. When we look at Christ, everything else just falls away because of His glory and because of His grace. Martin Luther, I'm sorry, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, if we only spent more time, more of our time looking at Him, that's Christ, we should soon forget ourselves, our problems, our troubles. I think he's right. Paul called us to, to look at Christ. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 3 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We keep our focus on Christ. We keep looking to Christ. And what we've seen in this passage so far, these, these precious pearls, these nuggets of truth, theological truth that just exalt Christ. We've seen that He is, uh, we've seen His inheritance, that He is, as the Son of God, He inherits everything. We've seen His ability, that He is the Creator of the universe. We've seen His glory, that it, it's the radiance, it reflects the very glory of God Himself. His nature is the exact representation of, of the very nature of God. We've seen His power, that He sustains the, the whole universe with the word of His power. But what about His mission? What does he accomplish? What is his successes? What can he, the, the author point to, to to say, look at what he's done? And of course, the Jewish mind would have asked that question naturally. And the author anticipates that question being asked. And he, and he pulls the last two together. We've looked at five. The last two here, number six and number seven, should go together. The mission of Christ, the accomplishment, and then the exaltation of Christ because of that. Mission. So let's look at number six, his mission. And that's at the end of verse three. It says, when he had made purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So, so the mission was to make purification for sin. Now, I want you to notice some of the words here. He, that's, of course, Christ, the Messiah. The Jews were anticipating the Messiah. That's Christ. He made, or he had made. Now, notice that's past tense. But it's also a completed action. Something that's already done. He completed his work. And, and the, the word when, 
when he had made, that, that it even emphasizes that completed work, and, and it drives us to look to what he did after he completed the work, he, he sat down. When he had completed his work, he sat down. That points to a deliberate, intentional mission. Something that he set out to do, set out to accomplish, he accomplished it. And that was the purification of sin. The word purification there is cleansing. Um, to purify. Now, we put water into a filter and it filters that water and we expect to see clean water come out of that. Now, of course, these days, the water purification is even better, so they have water testing and, and so you, you stick the test in this purified water or this water. It's supposed to be pure and you see it, oh, it still has all those contaminants in it. So what you want now is zero water, right? No contaminants. And that's, that's what the mission is. No sin. The purification of sin. When I was growing up, we'd watch Mission Impossible, right? Mission Impossible. And it was, I just love that show. And there's versions of it today that will come out. And, uh, of course it's, it's kind of a, it doesn't really make sense because if it's impossible, at the end of every, every, um, program, the mission was completed. So it really wasn't impossible, was it? Right? You understand that. Christ accomplished what he set out to accomplish. We're talking about mission impossible. Eradicating sin. Getting, getting rid of sin. Eliminating sin. And, and essentially the start of a new human race with a new Adam. Of righteous people. Now the Jews would have understand this, understood this purification, this purifying of sin. Of course we understand that that the high priest would have gone into the Holy of Holies at least once a year, or once a year, taken a lamb, sacrificed that lamb on the altar for the sins of the people for that, for that year. And that, of course, that was a, a constant thing that needed to be done, but it was a, it was a purification. It was a, a formal purification, a, a ceremonial cleansing, if you will. And positionally, before God, the, the nation was, was pure before God at, at that point. And the author here of Hebrews is clearly talking about an atonement. That's the theological term, an atonement. That Jesus stood in our place in a legal position before the court of heaven, stood in our place saying, I will take their place their punishment that is due because they are the transgressors here. I will take that upon myself for the forgiveness of sin so that God can, so that God can forgive their sin. God can then overlook that offense, if you will, and they can be justified. Justified. So what you have is, is the, the word justified is, is a, is a positional thing. That would be a, a ceremonial cleansing. They're not practically cleansed yet, but, but standing before God, ceremonial, ceremonially, they are clean. Positionally, they are clean before God. That's justification. And that justification is the foundation 
for, for the practical cleansing. We have been cleansed. Past, present, and future sins have gone. And the basis of that, then we can ask for forgiveness. We can uh, plead to the Lord to, to forgive us all of unrighteousness. And so we confess our sin that, and He is faithful to, con, con, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that sin then is covered. The purification of sin really is an amazing thing. Christ's sacrificial death on the cross took away our sin. The sin of everyone who would believe in Him. Now, the Jews again would have asked the question, why didn't He come to conquer? Why didn't He come to establish Himself as the the king and, and rule over Jerusalem, rule over the earth from Jerusalem like the Messiah was supposed to come. That was not his mission. That that was his first uh, uh, coming to earth, had a different mission than establishing his kingdom. In fact, they, they were anticipating this. They would, they would expect him to, to set up his rule. And he just did not look like the Messiah that was to come. It was because he had a different mission. That wasn't his mission. In fact, he kind of looked a, a little foolish. That Even the thief on the cross said, look, if you're the Messiah, you, you come down and you save yourself and save us as well. He looked a little foolish if he's going to be the Messiah, the king that is to rule over but he had a higher position, had a higher purpose, a higher mission, a more important one, and that is to deal with the sin problem. That's man's first and foremost problem is sin. Now, what we're talking about here is salvation, isn't it? Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 says, But now, apart from the law, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. We can be righteous apart from, from doing all of the works of the law. We can have that purification, that righteousness before God. Being witnessed by the laws and the prophets. The law and the prophets were there saying, yes, he, he accomplished every bit of that. Even the righteousness of God. And how do we get it? It's through faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. For all of those who would believe. So that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. That atonement can only come to those who are uh, placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not trusting anything else, but putting their faith and trust in Christ. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. That's the purification. Every lawless deed. Everything that we did to break the law and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good work. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done, in righteousness. We didn't have any kind of righteousness of our own selves, but according to His mercy. Now listen. 
by the washing and the regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's a purification. Positionally before God, we stand pure, but then practically He is washing us. He is purifying us through the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by His grace, we would be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's a cleansing, a washing, a purification. We're no longer sinners, but righteous before God. That's amazing to me. We can look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. We can look at 1 John chapter 2. But there's a a purification. Christ came to to purify and to, to get rid of sin. God was offended by the, by the sinfulness of man. And He was offended every day, we see in Scripture. And the only way to appease that sin is to pay the, the penalty for that sin. To, to receive the punishment that was due us. And Christ stepped in and, and He took that. And this, is, this is the atonement. Now there's a few things that I think are unclear in our churches, many times in our churches today. There's four things I think that uh, I want us to look at about this atonement that are, that are essential. And when we look at these things, these things are going to enhance our worship. I, I hope that you come away from this saying, Christ is more awesome than I even expected Him to be. And it's because of the atonement. These things should, should en- enhance our worship. Number one, here's just some information about the atonement. Christ's atonement was substitutionary. Now, I've already alluded to this. Substitutionary for my or for our punishment. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. But God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was for us. He took our place. Instead of me being on the cross, me dying on the cross, He took my place. That's the idea. It's a substitutionary atonement. So that I did not have to die. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 12. Therefore Christ also that he might, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood suffered outside the city. He did it. It was his blood that had to die, had to be shed. First John chapter 1 verse 7. You know this passage, this verse. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Just think about that. We didn't deserve that. It was His blood that was shed, not ours. And the only way we could take advantage of that is through faith in Christ. Now, that's just an amazing thing. And the question we have to ask is, how do we respond to that kind of grace? That, that if He didn't step in and take our punishment, then we would be suffering in hell for all eternity. Because we couldn't, we couldn't make that payment. We, we could never pay that. So our worship, every moment of our life is to be worshipped. It is, is a worship for Him. Is to be dedicated to Him. There's a brokenness to our life. There's a brokenness to a believer's life. 
responding to that kind of grace, that kind of mercy. It's very humbling. There's no place for pride in that. We had our own sins that nailed him to the cross. There's nothing for us to brag about. It's a very humbling thing. And and the position of the believer is humbled at the foot of the cross, knowing we deserved that punishment. So our hearts are full of thanks, isn't it? Complete dependence upon Christ. There's no place else to look. He's completed it all for us. And we respond by thanksgiving to Him. So we see it's a substitutionary atonement. The second thing that we need to know is that this is a atonement. This atonement secured a relationship with God. A reconciliation is what the Bible calls it. Pulling man and God together and making peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life, reconciled to God. Because the sin is taken away, we can now have a relationship with God. That sin was what was so offensive to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We can participate in this ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people to God. And how do we do that? Through the gospel. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It's a word because it's a, it's a message. We have the message of the gospel. We proclaim that message of the gospel. People put their faith and trust in that gospel, turning away from their own sin. And then they are reconciled to God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. And although you were formerly aliened, alienated, and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, that's just sinfulness, yet He has now reconciled you. So we were enemies shaking our fist in God's face, and He reconciled. He made peace with God because of the sin. He took care of the sin problem, and now God and man can come together in His fleshly body through death, it says. In order to present you, now listen to this, in order to present you before Him, that's God, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's purified. He purified us so that we could be presented before God. We could stand in the very presence of God. Even sinful people. It's amazing. It's amazing. But when sin has been taken away We can have a relationship with God now. So that means then, and that that relationship with God is is peace. It's peace. No peace with God, no peace in the heart. Man will not really truly find peace until he is at peace with his creator. No peace with God, no peace in the heart of man. No peace in the heart of man, then no peace on earth, folks. 
And we've got a lot of people that are trying to establish peace on earth. But it's just not going to happen. Why? Because there's still sin in the heart of man. We still have a, a relationship with God that is broken. There has to be purification. There has to be, there has to be this payment for sin. And now we are at peace with God. We have been reconciled. And that produces, folks, a peace within our own hearts. Within our own hearts. Be amazed at this. Before we were enemies. Peace is, let me just by way of application, peace then is not something that, that um, is just a constantly adding to our life. Adding to everything Adding to our life everything that we think would make us happy. Peace doesn't come that way. Peace comes from eradicating or or eliminating the sin within our life. That's going to make the peace come. That's going to... That's going to reconcile us, and that's what's going to bring peace within our own heart. It's not the addition of the material stuff that we we gain. So we, we have the substitutionary atonement. We have the reconciliation element of the atonement. And then number three, another thing about the atonement you have to know is this, this is atonement that is an, an actually, actually, actual saving atonement. It actually saves. It doesn't just provide, make salvation possible, but it actually saves people. Christ didn't just make salvation, uh, a potential salvation out there or enable man to be saved, but to deliberately, intentionally save sinners. That's what we see in Scripture. It wasn't just, oh, I hope that somebody gets saved. I'm going to do all of this work and, and just hope someone will get saved. That would just never happen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. That's not just the Jewish people. That would be the people within the church. That would be before uh, God established even the nation of Israel. He will save his people from their sin. That's a deliberate, intentional act. That's a... A a design for the atonement to actually save people. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Again, a deliberate, intentional act. He came to save people. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and God and Father. So it was God's will, God's plan to do this, then Christ just carried it, carried it out. Again, a mission, an intentional, deliberate act. First Timothy chapter one, verse fifteen. This saying is trustworthy. And deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I'm foremost or chief. Titus chapter 2 verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. 
to purify for himself his own possession, who will a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Deliberate, intentional atonement. We can look at Ephesians chapter 1 and we could see that our names were written down before the foundation of the world. We can see First Peter chapter 3 verse 13, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Now, folks, that is that's so crucial. Christ is bringing us to God. He is intentionally, deliberately choosing people, bringing them then to God to be able to stand before God. That's that's a purpose. To bring us to God. So why, why isn't the whole world saved? Was was Christ atonement? Was it was it too weak? It, it couldn't save the whole world? Mm, no, no. His atonement was powerful enough to save every single individual, every person that has ever been born uh, and that is alive today or that will ever be born. His, his um, atonement was that powerful. You say, well, why is everybody not saved? And why do you, you say, well, why does he use phrase? Why does he use phrases or the uh, authors of Scripture use phrases like the, the whole world or, or every man or all the nations or every creature? And why does he use that? Because there's a there was a misunderstanding with the Jewish people. They, they had learned one thing down through the ages. The, the Jews had learned at least one thing, and that was that they were God's chosen people and they had to be very careful. That's why they were so stringent, because they were God's chosen people. So when they come to know the Lord, it was hard for them to break out of that. And so the the authors of of Scripture had to tell them, it's not just for us, but it's for the whole world. This atonement is open for, for everyone, not just the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, for all of the nations. God is no respecter of persons. He opens it up to every tribe and tongue and nation. It doesn't mean that He's going to save every single person. But it does say that from every tribe and every nation, people will be saved. And God is not up there then wringing His hands, uh, hoping that people will get saved. No, he is. we see a deliberate, intentional um, atonement. Now, what does that mean for you? Just think about this. What does that mean for you? That means that He chose you before the foundation of the world. He wrote your name down. And in specific time, when you were born, He called you, He brought you to Himself, and He adopted you into His family, and you're, you're part of that family now. How special does that make you? That's not just random chance. That's not just, well, one day I decided for Christ. No, he had this thing planned. Start to finish, folks. This is his atonement, his redemption plan. And it's by design. There's one more thing. Number four, we have to know about the atonement. The atonement secures for us, for the believer, every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. And a passage that you... Know well, Ephesians chapter 1, 
Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places where? In Christ. Those who are in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intentions of His will, It was His will that was driving this whole thing. To the praise of His glory. Of course, He gets all the glory for this. Of His grace, which He freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Folks, that's amazing. We should be in, in awe of this atonement and this work that Christ accomplished, this mission that He set out to accomplish for us. From start to finish, folks, it is His work. From the very, before the foundation of the world when He wrote our names down to the glorification where we stand before God in heaven with a new heaven and a new earth with a new body. Our salvation is in His hands. And the hymn writer said, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. Folks, he chose us out before the foundation. He came to purify us, to bring us and establish us and then present us to God, his heavenly father. That's the picture that we see of redemption in scripture. Now, folks, does that add to your worship? Does that cause you your your mind to just just uh, be fixated on Christ, on God? Look what He's done for us. Our worship is is fueled by that truth. When you ever think of deviating, go back to these very basic truths that that our salvation is in God's hands, start to finish, and He. Accomplish what he set out to accomplish. We see a substitutionary atonement. We see reconciliation with God. We see a specific intentional design of the atonement. And then we see that atonement accomplished for us. Every spiritual blessing to the point that we are adopted into the family of God. What a wonderful thing. Now, let's look at, go back to our Hebrew passage. When he accomplished this, it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God, in all of his majesty, sitting on his throne, Christ uh, comes back up to heaven and joins all of that glory. We see that in Mark chapter 16, verse 19. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken these things, he had received He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. The work was completed. Everything that needed to be done was, was done. All the glory was now His. He was on the throne. And our Hebrew passage says, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high that's god himself that's where he that's where he he should have been god was on the throne he accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished and he deserved that position 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11 says this. Have this same attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hang on to that. But he emptied himself, taking up the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of of man, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Now listen to this, verse 9. For this reason, why? Because he humbled himself. Because he was uh, willing to set these things aside, his will aside, and do his Father's will. Because he accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished for the redemption of man. And for this reason, God highly exalted him. Highly exalted him. And bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Every knee will bow and every tongue, uh, those who are in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, that, that's glorification. That's the position that he deserved to be in. Right beside majesty on high, God himself. Now, let me just say this. That God didn't give Christ anything. God didn't give Christ anything. He, there was no grace there that he, he gave to Christ. Well, he's my son, I'll, I'll let him pass. There was none of that. He earned this inheritance. He earned this position. He earned his place to be on the throne. He was the, the victor. And celebration is in order. Redemption of man had been complete. Everything was necessary to be uh, done had been done. He had emptied himself. That's humility. He surrendered his will to his father's will. He took on the human body. He grew up and learned just like any other little boy. He became obedient to learn to submit. He lived a perfect life before his heavenly father. He completed all that needed to be done. He delivered the message from God. He dealt with the disciples and teaching and training. He dealt with the enemies in just the right way. And he willingly went to the cross and died. And he received all the weight of all of our sins upon him while he was on that cross. He was rejected by his father. He was buried in a tomb where he put sin and death in the grave. And he conquers death by raising from the dead. He completed everything that God had wanted him to do for the redemption of man. And he ascended into heaven and he received his reward. And it was justly received, justly done. Another passage that I just have to read is Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll draw this to a conclusion in just a second. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 says, And there are in accordance with the working of His strength, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that, was, that is named... Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Folks, there's a hierarchy. 
And Christ is now at the highest point. There is a hierarchy, even here on this earth. And at some point, every knee is going to bow to Christ. Why? Because he is exalted. He is put in this position far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only on this age, in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. He is the ruler. He is the king. Everything else is under the, his feet. He is everything else submits to him. And he gave him the head over everything to the church, which is his body, the full fullness of him who, you know, right now. He is the king over the earth. The only ones who recognize that are the church. Those who have voluntarily submitted themselves to Christ, put their faith and trust in Christ. Does that affect our worship, folks? He is the head of everything. He has been exalted to the, to the highest of all positions. Do you think there was celebration in heaven? You can imagine the, the celebration when the Israelites, two, two million, they estimated, came across the, the Red Sea on dry land. They get across, uh, Pharaoh is coming, and then the Red Sea collapses. You think there was celebration? You think there was celebration when the, Walls of Jericho came crashing down and Joshua's victory. You think there was celebration when David killed Goliath? No, folks, the angels were celebrating. The angels were celebrating when, when Christ gained the victory over sin and death and He is highly exalted. We have much to celebrate. Our focus has to be on Christ. He, he is the one that accomplished what needed to be done. He, he accomplished the mission that he had set out to accomplish. And Christ is preeminent. He is preeminent. And our focus is to be on him. He inherits everything because he is the son of God. He is the creator. So therefore, he has all ability. He has the, the glory and the nature of the same as God. He has Power is the sustainer. His mission was made of making purification of sin. He accomplished that and he was exalted. He was exalted. And folks, he will bring us to God. He will bring us to God. He is a great savior. But he's also given us a ministry, hasn't he? He's given us. The ministry of reconciliation. He's given us a, a mission to be salt and light here on this earth. We are, we are light, but we reflect His light. And the only way that we can reflect His light is keep our sights focused on Him. The believer, folks, is different from the world. We just are. And, and it's going to be seen. This purification of sin, it means something to live a righteous and holy life. It means something to uh, be sanctified and justified. The, the direction of our life is toward righteousness. We may not be perfected yet. The perfection of our life is not quite there, but the direction of our life has been established. And that's us. And our response to that, response to his 
work and accomplishment is just one of worship. Folks, we come before the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we worship. We're just in awe of Him. He is amazing when we look at these qualifications, we look what He has done for us, such sacrifice for us, undeserving people, enemies before God, and then He he changes all of that, and now we're seated at His table. Lord, or folks, that, that's an amazing thing. He will bring us to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for such precious thoughts. May these words, may these thoughts fuel our worship all week. May we be humbled at this overwhelming grace that you have given. Lord, may we recognize that our life is, is just for your service. May we recognize our mission, that you have us here as light and salt on this earth, given the ministry of reconciliation to bring others to Christ. Lord, help us to have the tenacity that Christ had to fulfill his mission. May we do that, Lord. Lord, we, we thank you for your grace. We're in no position to have any kind of pride in our own life. We're just undeserving sinners, and we thank you, Lord, for your bountiful grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.